or here in Southern California, it is Sunday afternoon. And I have in studio with me tonight, uh, Bill Salas. We're gonna have a great time, but before we get going, I'm just gonna give you a couple of things. I want you to make a note of this. Listen carefully. If you're in Southern California on Sunday, August 30th, instead of being in the studio, we're going to be at the 412 Church in San Jacinto, and my guest that night is going to be Charlie Kirk. Okay, now here's the deal. The tickets are on sale right now. They're free. And I say in sale, but they're free. We have to ticket this because we only have a limited number of seats. And listen, along these lines, again, this is Charlie Kirk. Once the tickets are gone, they are gone. And uh, with that, uh, I also want to read. So go to HopeForOurTimes.com and uh, make sure that you get tickets there. If they're gone by tomorrow, they are gone by tomorrow. Uh, then also, I want to let you know this. In October of 2021, we have an Israel trip that's planned. Uh, I encourage you, sign up, go for it. Bob Probert will be my guest along with David Tao. Uh, we have a fantastic time that we have planned. We have two different price packages for that trip. That's October of 2021. And uh, one of the price packages includes an extension to the Dead Sea and also to Petra. It is gonna be an absolutely fantastic time. Again, you can go to hopeforourtimes.com, click on events, and you'll get the information for both of those, Charlie Kirk, and then also for the October uh, 2021 Israel trip. And then I wanna remind you of this. I have a lot of things here, don't I, Bill? There's a lot more than I expected. Also, I wanna remind you of this. Send your questions to me tonight. You can start sending them now. I send them through YouTube or through Facebook. And I want to ask you this, don't argue with each other online, pay attention to the things that we say, and try to keep your questions relevant to the topics that we have uh, this evening. So Bill, are you ready? I'm ready, Tom. Okay, this is going to be exciting. I'm going to read a few headlines to you. We obviously have defunding uh, police departments that are going on across America. There's a defund sanitation in New York City, which to me, that's a very frightening thing. Uh, I misspoke this morning at our church. I said that uh, Seattle had voted to defund their police department 100%, but I got a note today that their, that vote is being extended until August 10th, so I want to make sure I correct that. But you look at all of these things that are going on. Burning Bibles in Portland, and then we have this. Extreme drought conditions possible into August. A mob uh, reportedly leaves gruesome and bloody pig's head outside of a Portland Police Bureau. Uh, and, and this, there's just more and more info that goes on. Um, data isn't just being collected from your phone, it's being used to score you. Uh, coronavirus, Russia plans to mass vaccinate people. In the Philippines, a plan to mass vaccinate for free 20 million people. L listen, I'm troubled by some of the things I'm hearing that are coming with the vaccination, but we're not really here to necessarily talk about any of those things specifically, although we're gonna get to them, because I believe that all of them are relevant amongst a few other things, including the rapture. But this is what we're gonna talk about tonight. Revelation chapter six, we have the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The fourth horseman of the apocalypse is uh, it's the pale horse, where authority is given to a kill a quarter of the earth. So if that were to happen today, that would be two billion people uh, that there's authority given to kill two billion people on the planet. We're gonna get into that. What does that look like? And this is what else we're gonna get into. And this is gonna be exciting. 
Isaiah chapter 28, there is a scourge that's coming to the earth. Specifically, the threat is against Jerusalem. There's a covenant that Jerusalem enters into. Um, you and I have, we both agree that this covenant of Isaiah chapter 28 is a future covenant coming to Israel. Um, and let's get going. So Bill, with that, you have lots of books, you have DVDs, you have your website. Uh, people get to connect with you on all of those things. Let's get into this, and then we're going to tell people how they can also get more information. So with that, let's roll. Isaiah chapter 28. I see a scourge coming, according to Isaiah 28, that's threatening Israel, threatening Jerusalem. Jerusalem enters into the covenant. I believe that covenant is, collected with, is connected with the covenant of Daniel chapter 9. Uh, the, is that a... Um, <laughs> Am I right in my assessment on that covenant? Uh, I concur, and I think it's really critically important because the covenant, once it's confirmed by the Antichrist in Daniel 9.27, leads, opens up these triggers of tribulation period, the seven-year tribulation period. So the covenant is extremely important to know about and get all the details about it. Most people, when they teach on it, they simply teach from Daniel 9.27. But we have extra, very important details that Isaiah gave us even before Daniel in Isaiah 28. And you pick it up around verses 14 through 18 with the emphasis that we'll talk about initially on verses 14 and 15. And basically what they say in Isaiah 28 is that Isaiah is speaking from God, God through him to the scornful rulers who rule over the people of Jerusalem at the future time. And he says that you sign on this covenant with death and you're in agreement with Sheol, two interesting entities, we've got to put a face on them. And that you're trying to, it says when you, the overflowing scourge comes upon you, you think you'll avoid it. And you're signing on with this in lies and falsehood. So that's really uh, very powerful cryptic information right there. So we have, when Daniel talks, he says, uh, Daniel 9 says, And he shall, the Antichrist shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. We see that as a week of seven years. But in the middle of that week, uh, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings, and abominations shall be on the one uh, who makes desolate, even till the desolation consumed, etc. So that said, there's been a covenant for seven years. That's the tribulation mm -hmm. period. It's also called Daniel's 70th week. Daniel tells us it's seven years. Mm -hmm. It's made with Israel and the many. So that's a nebulous entity. Who's the other signatory? Israel is one of them. Uh, Israel and the many. In the middle of it, he's going to go in and stop the sacrifices and offerings. So it's got something to do with their temple, and they're being able to reinstate their animal sacrifices and offerings. And he says in the middle it's going to be violated. That's important information. But that's not the whole story. Mm -hmm. We're not told why Israel goes into the covenant. We're not told who the other signatory is and some other things, which Isaiah, I just told you in Isaiah 28, gave us those details. Isaiah says the reason they're going to the covenant is something has been going on in the earth called an overflowing scourge that they don't want to be, uh, come upon mm -hmm. them. Uh, the perpetrator of that, or at least the one who can prevent that, that they would covenant with, is called death and Sheol. So we've got to figure out, well, who are they that Israel feels can stop whatever this overflowing scourge is that they're perpetrating from coming upon them, and it's done in lies and falsehood. In other words, under the pretense that it's politically expedient. We don't necessarily agree with who we're covenanting with on this contract, but for our own political and spiritual reasons, we're going to go ahead and covenant with this. So that's what I believe is being said there, but the question is, is that Isaiah 28 a future event or a historical event? We've got to cover okay. that. Yeah, I'm going to ask you about that in just a second. Let me read it, read the passage, 
um, so everybody can, uh, can can follow along with us. Listen, this is in Isaiah 28, beginning verse 14. I'll read parts of it. And this is what we're referring to. Um, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scornful men, who rule this people who are in Jerusalem. So there's some bad leaders at the time uh, in Jerusalem that enter into this agreement. Because you have said, we have made a covenant with death. And this is everything you're getting to. And with Shul, we are in agreement. When the overflowing scourge passes through, it will not come to us. For, and this is what you said. For we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood we have hidden ourselves. Your covenant with death will be annulled. And, and I cannot help but think, in, a, in a, a Daniel chapter 9, the covenant is entered into. We know that's the 70th week of Daniel covenant. And at the midpoint, that covenant is broken. There's an end to animal sacrifices. Here we read this. this your covenant with death is annulled. And your agreement with Shul will not stand when the overflowing scourge passes through. Then you'll be trampled down by it. As often as it goes out, it will take you for morning by morning it will pass over. And by day and by night, it will be a terror just to understand the report. What it's speaking of is something that is awful. I believe it is something that is still coming. So this is what I want to know. And this is what our, our, there's a lot of people out there right now that are going to disagree with the timing that you and I both see of this. We both mm-hmm. see it as future. Uh, many scholars say, no, this happened at the time of <clears throat> Assyria, uh, is what I believe most scholars say. Maybe it might be Babylon. You can probably correct me on that. Uh, but a lot of scholars say, it. I still see it as future. It also talks about a scourge. So this is what I want to do. I want to ask you, what is the scourge? You know, it, it, they can avoid something disastrous coming their way by entering into an agreement. Uh, So tell me, tell our viewers, the ones that are out there right now that are skeptical, and they're saying, this is past, I don't believe it's future, I don't believe it connects, uh, connects, excuse me, with Daniel chapter 9. So make me a believer of that. All right. Well, and it's important you read Isaiah 28 verse 18 as well, talking about the covenant with death and agreement with Sheol would actually be annulled that the overflowing scourge, when it passes through, would actually come upon Israel. So the scourge actually has two phases as we read that. The first phase is Israel feels they can avoid. And that's agreement with death and show, we're going to try to put a face on them. But we find out down the road, at the time the Antichrist goes into the temple and stops the sacrifices and offerings, the covenant gets annulled. And at Mm -hmm. that point, around the middle of the tribulation, it comes forward and overtakes Israel, becomes a terror upon them, it tramples upon them. So, but the first three and a half years, Israel is living in this pseudo-peace as a result of this false covenant. So this covenant is extremely important. Now we find out why Israel wants to get involved in the covenant in the first place. Now, well, I just want to say, backtrack for a second, you know. It's important to realize that when the church gets raptured out of here, that doesn't immediately start the seven-year tribulation period. It's not, that's not what motivates okay. Israel to sign on to a false okay, covenant. Let me ask you this before we go further, because I know uh, there's, do you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture? Yes. Okay, so that puts the timing of the rapture before all of this. Correct. Okay, because you're going to get into some details that are going to make people think, well, you're talking about a post-trib rapture or mid-trib rapture. So your pre-trib, the rapture takes place, and then all of these events begin to unfold. Yeah. Okay. So, and so between the time of the rapture to the signing of the 
confirmation of the false covenant by the Antichrist with Israel and death in Sheol, who are uh, the faces of the many Daniel talked about in Daniel 9.27. Uh, something is happening in the world. It's called an overflowing scourge. And Israel is seeking protection from it, from the perpetrators of it. And the perpetrators of it, are, for some reason, feel like they can also get something out of this covenant with Israel. So the parties that come to the covenant table, Israel and Death and Sheol, whoever they represent, uh, have advantages for coming to the mm -hmm. table. That's why they come into the security agreement together. Who does not have protection is your unsaved loved ones alive right now. If we get raptured right now, there's no protective clauses in the false covenant for them. They, Israel's protecting themselves, and whoever Death and Sheol is, they're protecting themselves. But your loved ones are not protected at all. So that's why we're trying to let you know the scourge is very important. It comes upon Israel. It's so powerful that Israel wants nothing to do with it. They sign on to a false covenant that triggers the seven worst seven years on this earth's present timeline. God executes his wrath through the seal bowl and judgment, seal bowl and trumpet judgments. It's a perilous period of time, and this leads up right to it. So after the rapture, this starts, starts to get perpetrated promptly, and Israel starts to panic, and they don't want it to come upon them. Okay. Uh, so I, I look at this also, there's a destruction of, uh, of America that's coming in some form. Uh, possibly the rapture is going to take place. Uh, currently, as we look at current world events, um, we can look and go, okay, America's collapsing right now, but we don't know. God could do a miracle next week and turn this whole thing around for America too. And, and so things start to look good there. So we have a lot of interesting things to talk about. Okay, so in history... Why is it that you believe uh, that this is future, whereas other scholars say, no, this happened in Israel's past uh, during the time of Assyria or Babylon? Yeah, so that's important because we're saying this is a future event involving Israel of equal scale of Ezekiel 38, where God protects Israel of the covenant of the temple they want to build. You know, We're all watching this stuff on, on the prophetic scene because we're very interested in what's going to happen with Israel, the prophecies related to them. Well, so this prophecy is related to Israel. Well, what if it's been historically fulfilled? So that's a really good question. Some people believe it has been. Here's a quote from John Wolverd in his book called The Bible Knowledge Major Prophets. Mm -hmm. Him and Roy B. Zook wrote that book together. And he says, the Jerusalem leaders were trusting in other gods to save them from the coming scourge, the Assyrian invasion. Okay, so mm -hmm. let, me, let me tell you why there's six main reasons this has not been historically fulfilled from my studies, okay? First of all, the Assyrian Empire conquered Aram, which was Damascus, back in 732 B.C. Then they conquered northern kingdom of Israel. Remember, there had been a split in the northern and southern kingdoms in 722 B.C. Okay, so then Sennacherib, around 701 B.C., the king of Assyria, was moving toward the southern, in the southern kingdom into Judah. He was starting to take over some of the areas, and he was going to try to take over Jerusalem at the time of King Hezekiah. And you pick up these accounts in uh, 2 Kings 19 and 20 and Isaiah 36 and 37 of what I'm about to talk about, the historical accounts. So the King Sennacherib sends in his general and touts King Hezekiah and says, we're going to come take over Jerusalem. We're going to take over all this area. You can go to your God. He's talking to the people, don't let Hezekiah convince you that your God can stop us. We've taken over all these other places. We took over the northern kingdom. We're going to come over and take over you, etc. Okay, well, so King Hezekiah he, he goes and he prays to the Lord. He goes to the Lord. He seeks the Lord, not a covenant. He seeks the Lord for protection. And guess mm -hmm. what? We're told in Isaiah 36, verse 37, I think it was right, right? Isaiah 36, verse 36, something like that, that one night the angel of the Lord mm -hmm. comes in response to the, uh, the repentant concern of King Hezekiah and kills the 185,000 Assyrians mm -hmm. 
overnight. They wake up in the morning and they find their dead corpses strained all over. King Sennacherib is caused to flee. We find in the later verses of Isaiah 36, he's also killed. Isaiah said all that was going to happen. Okay, mm -hmm. so here's the situation. When this happened, there was no covenant ever confirmed. Now we've got a literal covenant in Isaiah 20. Yeah. It's called, the Hebrew word is berith. It's the same word used in Daniel 9:27 for so covenant. So same word. Yeah. In both Isaiah 28 and uh, Daniel chapter 9. Here's the other thing. What I remember with Hezekiah is he spreads out his request before the Lord. He falls on his face before the Lord. He's pleading with the Lord for deliverance and protection from Assyria. Right. It was totally a spiritual thing between him and God. That's right. In in okay. Okay, so he sought the Lord in trust. He did not seek a covenant with the Assyrian king in lies and falsehood. That did not happen back at that time. There were no, he was the, a good ruler at that time, a repentant ruler. This, this Isaiah 20 is talking about scornful rulers in the future. He was not a scornful ruler. He was a good guy. He went there. Uh, also, the overflowing scourge that will come upon them like a terror that you read in Isaiah 20, that never happened. They fled. The Assyrian yeah. army fled. It was Babylon that actually attacked Jerusalem, sacked Jerusalem under the time of Nebuchadnezzar. That's right. I don't remember Jerusalem entering into a covenant with Babylon. No, you, no, they didn't enter a yeah. covenant and they were not spared Babylon. No, they were not spared. There were three sieges. Yeah. Babylon, uh, Jeremiah was prophesying uh, against Babylon and telling Jerusalem you need to repent. They wouldn't listen to Jeremiah, threw him into a pit. Mm -hmm. Jerusalem had some very bad kings at that time and hence they were taken by Babylon. Right. So I would say to the historical <coughs> perspective, and I think that's one of the views why a lot of the Bible teachers have sort of dismissed Isaiah 28 as a, a connecting more details of the, is because they just thought it was historically fulfilled. I would say, show me a covenant, historical account of this ever happening because I don't see that in the history yeah. books or in the biblical scriptures. Right. That's not what happened. So therefore, this becomes a future event. It's a covenant just like the covenant of Daniel 9.27. So unless we have two different covenants forthcoming, mm -hmm. it's got to be one and the same. And that's the, that's the view I favor. Mm -hmm. It's one and the same covenant. And we just get more details from Isaiah. And the details of real critical importance for this conversation tonight is what is the scourge? The scourge mm -hmm. is coming and Israel is panicking by it. And they feel that they can covenant with the perpetrators of it, death in mm -hmm. Sheol, that they can be, avoid the scourge coming upon them. Okay, yep. the first phase of it anyways. Okay. So let me ask you this, because I, I think a lot of our viewers are really curious about that. In fact, I've already got several questions that have come in. Uh, let me see if we can tackle any of these questions yet. Um, let's see. Uh, do you, okay, we're going to get Psalm 83 being asked that question. Um, Fern LaHaye uh, has a comment. Uh, the flags look nice, just thought I'd let you know that. Uh, we have people from all over that are watching this. Um, uh, and I also have a question about Gog and Turkey, that. So there's a lot of things in okay. here that you're going to have an opportunity to get into. Uh, but I do want to ask you about the scourge. I do want to say this, too. So um, I, you know, it, it, we both run in prophecy teaching circles. And I do know that there's some people that uh, look at you. You have Psalm 83. Um, uh, Israel Stein, I believe, was the first book that you wrote. You've had several books since then, lots of DVDs. People can get your things. I want to encourage people to do this uh, because uh, people look at what you did with Psalm 83 and they just totally write it off as being in the past. Um, uh, some write it off as something that's going to happen in the millennial kingdom that the Lord is going to do. Uh, it's interesting. 
and I and I know you've cut a lot of flack for Psalm 83, uh, and you also get people that that really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. But people can pick up your Psalm 83 or any of the other works you've done. You've done a lot with Iran mm -hmm. on Iran, and they can pick that up at where Prophecy Depot. Prophecydepot.com uh, or Amazon. We've got most of our stuff on Amazon okay. too. I'm sure a lot of people watching already subscribe to yours, but uh, just in case, prophecydepot.com. You also have a newsletter that you regularly uh, Correct, do that I, I receive that, that yeah. uh, all the time. Uh, very informative. You put a lot of thought into everything. And there are people that are going to disagree with you. That's what the beauty is about me getting to have guests on here. I get to talk to you, even if I don't agree with you on 100% of everything, um, it's still a lot of fun conversation as we go forward and we sort out this. So I look at the scourge, I think in a similar way you do, I think you thought it through a little bit further than I have. Um, I believe that it, it can't be a pestilence because they're entering into an agreement to protect them from the scourge. I can't sign a document so I don't get a virus, you know, unless it's a fake, uh, something that's fake, right? So your, your take on the scourge, and I think you also connect it with, with uh, Revelation chapter 6. I don't know if we have enough time to do that connection tonight. But your take on the scourge, what is it? Well, first of all, I think we can rule out historical fulfillment. Okay. Two, that it's not a pandemic like a COVID-19 because you cannot sign a covenant with a disease, one, or perpetrator disease, and two, you cannot insulate yourself from the infections. We've all tried that with our quarantine now we're in our second wave of that, right? I mean, basically, you'd have to play that out and say, well, what does this mean? They signed a covenant with the ID2020 group or something that they apparently okay. got the vaccine and they're withholding it from people. So you sign a covenant with us and we'll get you. It just really doesn't make any sense. So I think we can safely rule that out. So to find out what the overflowing scourge is, and then we can get to these questions, so I won't spend a lot of time on it. I will tell you this, I have written extensively about the overflowing scourge in my next prophecies book. I've also got a thing that's free on, online called the Post-Rapture Pre-Tribulation Gap Thesis. If you can't find that online, email me at prophecydepotministries at gmail.com, and I'll get you the link to that. So I, we're not going to be able to tell you what I think it is entirely with all the dots I've connected and T's I've crossed, because I do think I've figured it out, but I don't want to be dogmatic about it. Yeah. Uh, but we'll tell you where we kind of have to go to figure out okay. a little bit about it. Okay, first of all, the participants of the false covenant are the Antichrist confirms it. Israel is one of the signatories and death and Hades is the other signatory. And they have to be many. They represent many because Daniel says it's a covenant between many, right? Mm -hmm. So whoever death and Hades represent, they can't just be the intangibles. You know, death is the, when the body dies, that's dealing with death. The, mm -hmm. the immaterial soul, where it goes, its destination is dealing with Hades. If, if it's a saved soul, he goes to heaven. If not, he goes to Hades, which is essentially hell is the other word for that. So that's the spiritual connotations of what we're dealing with here, death and Hades, and they have to represent many. So we ask ourselves, where do these people show up? Israel shows up right now. They exist right now. They're not going away. Antichrist shows up after the rapture as the white horseman of the apocalypse in Revelation 6, 1 and 2. Is it possible the other signatory also shows up among the horse, the horse stampede? And it does. The fourth horseman happens to be death and Hades, which is the Greek word for Sheol. And it says, and I'm going to correct you in what my interpretation is. You said it earlier. You said they kill a quarter of the earth, which would be about two billion people. And they may. But the text technically says they have authority or power in some translations over a quarter of the earth to kill. Okay, let me read this to help everybody connect okay. at home and know that I'm right. 
No, I'm kidding. But it will help them to connect with absolutely, the passage. Absolutely. This is, uh, in all seriousness, Revelation chapter 6, and this is the fourth seal, also the fourth horseman of the apocalypse. And uh, this is what uh, Bill is referring to. When he, that would be the Lord, opened the fourth seal, so the rapture's already taken place. When he opens the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come and see. So I looked and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was death, and Hades followed him. And this is what you're talking about. And power, or as you say, authority, was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. So let me stop here. Um, I say that at this point of the fourth horse, a quarter of the earth will be killed. What you're saying, just for clarity for everybody, is you're saying, no, this just says they have the power to kill, a quarter, uh, authority to do that, not that they necessarily kill a quarter of the earth. doesn't mean they don't, but the authority is there. Whereas I, so that, that's really the only difference well, yeah, what, we're talking about there. What I would say, let's build to this climax to okay. what these guys are. Antichrist comes on the scene. He's coming out with a threefold campaign. He's going to be a military leader because he's fighting and winning wars, we find out, especially in Daniel 11. He's going to be a political leader that Israel would trust to broker and confirm a covenant. Uh, he's in bed with the harlot world religion that says the harlot rides a beast, ecclesiastical Babylon, and the beast carries her in Revelation 17, 7 to her religious heights. So they've got their early on relationship. And then also, she gets desolated by the ten kings in Revelation 17, 16, and 17, and the Antichrist becomes a supreme religious leader. He wants everyone to worship him. He exalts himself, yeah. all that's of God. But as he comes on the scene, it says he's coming out to conquer and conquering, right? So he's got to come on, he's embarking on the square. The fiery red horseman of the second seal, peace is taken from the earth. So the white horse, it appears we have uh, conquering and to conquer with peace or th peace through diplomacy, uh, which is also a connection, I think, from Daniel chapter 7 or 8, where he comes on conquering and to conquer. Uh, and then after that is the red horse where peace is taken, peace from, is the earth, taken from the and earth. And there's great war. We would suggest that's probably World War, World War Three, whatever mm -hmm. the case is. That's a big deal. Yeah, the, the I would agree of the with sword that. typology. And then that creates the third, the black horseman, where you've got famines, scarcities, and pestilences that would be a result of the sequence of events that are happening to a point now where the fourth horseman is called upon to rein in order, mm -hmm. to kind of harness this and kind of bring this back, have global control, in okay. my estimation. So this is where you would fit Isaiah 28 at the fourth horseman to bring in this global control, to get everything under control, authority is given to the fourth horseman, basically to, to dictate what they want. To kill. It says that they have authority or power over a quarter of the earth. Now, I don't, I'm not going to put a number on how many people they kill. Uh -huh. Let's just first look at that. They have <clears throat> control over a quarter of the earth. That is a strong so network serious of global damage. control. So the scourge would be connected with that? I believe, I believe they're perpetrating the scourge. That's why Israel covenants with them. And what they're doing is they're killing through multiple means. Uh, sword, which would be war, famines, pestilences, and the beasts of the earth, which is, we could talk about that, but that's just multiple means to which they're killing. What are they doing? They're killing, and they're actually killing Christians and nonconformers, because we find out in the fifth seal, we have the people who are dying for their faith in Jesus and the testimony of their faith, the fifth seal saints. So I would look at them as part of her victim of those being killed. Now, let me just say this real quick. Okay. The court of the earth issues, because this comes up, all of our colleagues, they all interpret it the way you do, and you guys could be right. 
I'm not trying to be yeah. a dissenter here. The point I'm saying is that that's not technically what I said. They have authority and power over a quarter there to kill. I'm not told exactly how many. Now, we're compare that to the sixth trumpet judgment, entirely different judgment. And it says the sixth angel with the sixth trumpet says, release the four angels bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels had been prepared for that hour and that day and that month and that year were released to kill a third of mankind. We're told again, yeah. again, they actually kill a third of mankind. Okay, so you're saying the difference is with this fourth seal or the sixth trumpet, the fourth seal authority is given over to kill. Over a large population. Over, over a quarter of the earth. However, you're saying it's very, it's very clear with uh, the sixth trumpet, they do kill a third of the earth. Absolutely. The so the, the difference is the language that, that's used there, authority versus they actually kill them. What do you want me to do? Oh, so, oh, my mic fell. Oh, your mic fell. Oh, no. Oh, no. Could How much did you not hear? Hold on, gang. We'll try to fix this. Are you okay? Okay. This is the beauty of doing this live. So everybody is watching this live right now. How much of it do we catch of Bill? A good amount, but not everything. So whatever they heard of, that fell on your leg. Oh, no. So I'm not sure where, where, where we missed you. Well, I heard everything, and it was great. Okay. <laughs> so let me just clarify for what we might have missed. Um, uh, Revelation chapter 6, the fourth seal, authority is given to kill a quarter of the earth. And you compared that with the language of uh, Revelation chapter 9, where you have the sixth trumpet, where a third of the earth actually is killed. So the difference is the language. One is authority to kill a quarter of the earth. The other, they actually do kill a third of the earth. So that's, so that's where we left off. Right. It says in the fourth seal, they have authority or power over a quarter of the earth to do something. Okay. It turns out what they're doing is killing nonconformers to whatever their gospel, whatever they're perpetrating. Right? Okay, so the scourge? I believe that's the okay. scourge. Now, whether they're killing a quarter of the earth, they could be killing less, they could be killing far more. If they have control over a quarter of the earth to kill and push forward their agenda, mm -hmm. they could be killing more than a quarter of the earth. I mean, I'm not going to restrict it to that. But whatever amount it is, it could certainly qualify for something Israel doesn't want any part of. Israel does not want that to come upon them. So therefore, whoever is the bloodthirsty hands of killing, and they're killing Christians, fifth seal saints, maybe more than Christians, but they're killing fifth seal saints, Israel doesn't want to be part of that, that bloodthirsty scenario. So they would sign a covenant with whoever th is perpetrating that so it wouldn't come upon them. Okay. So enter into this covenant. It's a covenant with death in the, in the grave. Um, uh, Hades, and so they enter into it, it avoids it, the covenant is annulled. Okay, so both you and I connect Isaiah 28 with Daniel's covenant, the, 70, the covenant for the, the 70th week of Daniel that begins the actual tribulation period. You would agree with me, it's the covenant that starts the tribulation period. This, in fact, that covenant, is, it's regarding the 70th week of Daniel because of that, that is the reason, the main reason I believe we're raptured before the tribulation begins because that to me bill and correct me if you think i'm wrong but it's the 70th week of daniel it's about god's attention with israel again not the gentile world not the church you don't read about the church in the book of revelation you read about saints you're, you read about people coming to faith in christ mm -hmm. in that regard in the in the book of revelation but you don't read about the church in uh romans chapter 11 we also have where blindness and part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come, and then all Israel will be saved. So the way I read this, when you enter into the tribulation, the rapture's already taken place. 
because the, the, the opportunity for the Gentiles, that door's closed. Doesn't mean Gentiles don't get saved in the tribulation. I believe the Bible's clear. There's people from every tribe, nation, and tongue that get saved during the tribulation. But prim primarily, he turns his attention toward Israel. It's the 70th week. God promised he was going to deal with them again. Also, Daniel chapter 9, to bring an end to transgression. Uh, it, it's, he's going to be dealing with the holy people, the holy city, all of that. Daniel chapter 9, God tells us that's what he's going to do. Mm -hmm. So it's about them. Agree? Right. So I would just say real quickly, to some of them, that's mm -hmm. an excellent one of the reasons, arguments for future rapture. A couple <coughs> other ones, we're not appointed to God's wrath, that we will be saved from it. In Romans 5, verse 8 and 9. He is the one who delivers us, Jesus Christ, from the wrath to come, 1 Thessalonians 1, 10. We're not appointed to the wrath, 1 Thessalonians 5, 7 through 10. He will keep us from the hour of trial, that tribulation period, in Revelation 3, verses 10 through 11. And we are to comfort one another with these words, which we wouldn't be able to do if we're in the tribulation, 1 Thessalonians 4 through 18. Also, the churches on earth in the seven letters of the seven churches, they have a prophetic application in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Revelation 4 and 5, the church is caught up into heaven, and we see there are 24 elders who are redeemed from among men, from among people. And then we don't hear about the church anymore from Revelation 6 mm -hmm. all the way to Revelation 19 mm -hmm. at the wedding supper of the Lamb. So I would say the arguments are pretty strong for pre-trib rapture. Yeah. And uh, I, I do too. You know, I believe pre-trib rapture. I give a, I'll get a lot of emails by this time tomorrow, uh, people telling me why I'm wrong. Hey, that's all right. I've, I've had those arguments for years. With, and uh, uh, Listen, it, uh, we're saved by our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not on the timing of our belief of the rapture, thankfully. Okay, now, so we talked about the covenant. We can get back into some more of these things. But I want to weave in, okay, so to avoid the scourge, Isaiah 28, but there's also, um, do you believe that we know that the temple's going to be rebuilt? Because Antichrist is going to sit in the temple, demand to be worshipped as God, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there's going to be animal sacrifices, so we know the altar's going to be there. I believe the temple's going to be on the Temple Mount. What do you believe will be some of the contents So for Israel to enter into this agreement? There's a real motivator. Isaiah 28, avoid the scourge, but there's probably some other reasons I'm thinking they're going to want to. Okay, well, the number one reason that I would dispel right now as to what the true content of the false covenant is, is it's going to bring, resolve the Arab-Israeli conflict. That's what most mm -hmm. everyone would say is going on. There's no I, scriptural support yeah. for that. That's current event driven. There are other clues that we have that there's three clues that I put out in the next prophecies book and the last prophecies book. I'll be glad to share them with you right now. It won't take me a minute as to why the true content of the false covenant has a lot to do with Israel's ability to build the temple. Okay, let me ask you this. So we look at so many different things going on. Uh, you believe there's going to be a Psalm 83 war. We've, gone, we've talked a lot about that in the past. People can get all your information on that. I think we would, almost all of our viewers are going to agree there's an Ezekiel 38, 39 war that is coming. The timing of it people disagree on, that's fine. But that, these, that's massive. And you look, God is going to destroy the enemy at the time of Ezekiel 38, 39 war. Uh, Ezekiel 39 is very clear. It's not America. America's not going to be involved in that. God is going to rescue Israel. What happens to radical, the radical parts of Islam at that point? Well, here's my scenario. Okay. okay? 
And I would say this too, you know, I introduced Psalm 83 to the prophetic community around 2008 in my book, Israelistine. Up to that point, no one was talking about Psalm 83. All of a sudden now, everyone's had to respond to it. And a lot of them say, well, that was fulfilled in 1948. And I've got reasons why I disagree with mm -hmm. that. But my question to them is, okay, well, if that was such a big deal in 1948, a major prophecy finding fulfillment, as was the rebirth of Israel, how come no one caught it for 60 some odd years later? All of a sudden I bring it up and everybody's got to start talking about it because they can ask these questions. I'm not trying to be egotistical about it, but I'm trying to say the bottom line is if it was such a big deal, how come no one caught it for mm -hmm. 60 some odd years? That just sort of slipped on by. Maybe some way, someday down the road someone would have wrote about it, but fortunately I wrote about it, now we've got to talk about it. Okay, now if, if I'm correct, and there's peripheral prophecies where the Israeli Defense Forces are involved in not only the defeat of Psalm 83, but they're taking out in Isaiah 11, verses 14, uh, 11, 14. They're flying down upon the Philistines, etc. They're destroying Damascus in Isaiah 17, 9, the Israeli Defense Forces. They're taking care of the Palestinians in Isaiah, uh, Ezekiel 25, 14, Obadiah 1, 18. There's Zechariah 12, verses 4 through 6, where the captains of Judah are taking out the strong. There's probably about 12 or 13 different peripheral prophecies, but that said, those are all Islamic countries that share common borders with Israel and they're listed in Psalm 83. If Israel wins that war, their defense forces, who are told in Ezekiel 37:10 they will be an exceedingly great army, then they just took out their Arab threat around them and they can take down the Dome of the Rock, okay? Now that's gonna cause quite a problem when all those Muslim countries have just been defeated and Damascus has been destroyed as a city, Isaiah 17:1. Now the other Muslim countries like Iran and Turkey and those North African countries involved with Ezekiel 38. Sudan involved and some other territories. Perhaps Sudan, Ethiopia, mm -hmm. Libya, and through up there, maybe Morocco and Tunisia with Turkey and Russia, and everyone's Muslim there except Russia's multi-faith. But they're all gonna be upset. And they're an outer circle of countries. They don't share common borders with Israel. They've never been Israel's notorious enemies of the past, like those Psalm 83 countries were. Now, Israel can't stop that, so God stops that supernaturally. And that takes out a lot of those Muslims too. So between those two wars, you'd have about 600, 800 million Muslims either killed, imprisoned, or in exile. Now, Islam won't fall off the map because there's you know, 1.6, 1.8 billion Muslims mm -hmm. right now, a lot of them in Indonesia and stuff, but they're gonna question Allah's Akbar, his greatness. In other words, you know, what just happened, our God could not stop Israel or Israel's God. Mm -hmm. Now, if we come into, and that happens to a pre-trip scenario in my estimation, some, some would say it doesn't, but there's reasons why Ron Rhodes, Dr. Ron Fruchtbaum, Dr. David Reagan, Gary Stimmer, and myself, mm -hmm. many others believe it's a pre-trip event, now all of a sudden, the death in Hades. When you say pre-trib event, uh, pre, before the rapture, pre, or just pre-rapture, and it could happen right after the rapture. Could. Okay. Somewhere, I'll tell you what I think somewhere. the scenario okay. is, but but <clears throat> we can't date set a rapture. Right. I I, I would totally agree. Yeah. Okay, I think we'll be here for the Israeli Defense Forces becoming a senior great army, taking out Psalm 83 and those peripheral prophecies. Okay. We could be here for that. Damascus being destroyed. Uh, I think we get raptured in around that time frame, but we, I don't think we're here for Ezekiel. But we could be raptured tomorrow. It could time. be raptured before any of these. Yeah. I'm just telling you my guess, okay. and that's all it is. Yeah, no, that, yeah. I don't think we'll be here I for Ezekiel. I just know what people are going to say to me, but when I open up these emails later, oh, they already are. <laughs> well, well, let going. me get to my point because <laughs> I, I want to tell you why Israel gets involved in the covenant and the scourge. Yeah. Uh, so I believe that uh, Ezekiel 38 will happen. And after Psalm 83 mm -hmm. and Ezekiel 38, see, we have to ask ourselves a question. Why would death in Hades, who has control over a quarter of the earth and they're killing people, 
why would they care about you know seven eight million Jews or whatever, mm -hmm. maybe fourteen million Jews by this time over there? Why would they care about this little tiny sliver of Israel mm -hmm. that's surrounded with all these problems? They would care if the Israeli Defense Forces took out all their enemies around them, and if their God, the supernatural uh, killings of Gog of Magog and all the most formidable advance in Middle East history, all of a sudden this death in Haiti is going to be a little concerned about these people over here. They're running their game over here, their religious scenario. I believe it's Ecclesiastical Babylon, by the way, of Revelation 17, mm -hmm. and who's drunk with the blood of the saints and the martyrs of Jesus. So she's also killing Christians like death in Hades is. So unless they're two different ones, they could be the same, right? Mm -hmm. But they're going to be doing this, saying this is our game. This is We want control of the whole earth. We can't, they're not going to buy into it. Israel's going to want to build their temple and do sacrifices, right? right. So they're going to say, they're going to run parallel with them and say, okay, we don't want to be like Gog of Magog, you know, we could we could try to kill them, but what if we weren't successful? What if we tried to kill them like we're killing the Christians? So in Israel, saying we don't want to be drunk with the blood of the saints and the martyrs of Jesus, Revelation 17:6. We don't want to be drunk with the, the blood of the Jews, which happened in 1492 at the mm -hmm. Spanish Inquisitions, and the blood and martyrs of the Jews in the future. Right? This both had historical Jews and Christians being killed in the past. Jews and Christians being killed in the future would be their concern. So I'm just giving you, I think, the mindset. This is not the little Israel of today that enters into this covenant. This is an Israel that this force over here has to reckon with. Why would I covenant with this little tiny Israel? They can't even get peace over there. Well, maybe it's not this little tiny Israel mm -hmm. anymore. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a lot of very fascinating things that you have in there. And, and we have a lot of questions I've got to ask yeah. you. All right? So, but with that, another time, Prophecy Depot. Correct. ProphecyDepot.com. ProphecyDepot.com. Uh, get all of your material there, books, DVDs. You have a lot, and you, you've put a lot of research into everything. So people, it's real easy to fact check your things because you have a lot. Uh, you don't seem to leave anything you haven't, you haven't looked into mm -hmm. and thoroughly documented. So um, I would encourage you to go there. Uh, you can get more. You can, you can argue with Bill. Or you can, you can agree with him, but either way, you're going to learn a lot. And, uh, and I believe we live in exciting times. I don't know when the rapture is going to happen. I also believe in pre-tribulation rapture. I, I love to talk like this because it gets my mind going. And right now, we've got some people going online. So here's the first question. Actually, I have a lot of different questions. This one is regarding uh, the red heifer. You've heard of the red heifer. I know you have. Uh, so this person wants to know, Bill, um, has the red heifer been discovered yet? And uh, you know, for people who uh, aren't sure what that is a question about, um, is the, in the Bible when you have the altar sacrifices, the ashes of the red heifer are used for cleansing and, and the Jews being able to begin their sacrifices. So this is why you and I will hear questions about the red heifer. Have they found it yet? Have they found it yet? And you'll see in prophecy websites, they're looking for the red heifer. They think they got the red heifer. And this, what they mean by that is a perfect red heifer without blemish. It can't even have a white hair on it. And they want to know if they've found it yet. If you've heard Bill, if they found that perfect red heifer yet. Well, to be honest with you, I don't know yet, Tom. And, yeah. But I will tell you this. Uh, all the motions are in place for them to reinstate their sacrificial system in Israel. The temple priests have already been found. They've got the, you know, you go to the Temple Mount Institute in uh, the old city. The Sanhedrin have been put together. They've already mm -hmm. found the chief priest. The temple implements are in place. So when the heifer comes along, if it hasn't come along yet, 
it'll just be sort of the final, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and, and especially because we can look at uh, so much has been developed. Uh, the Jews seem ready to build their temple. I believe the temple is going to go, you, uh, you can see this on TV, uh, somewhere in the area of where this, this dome is. Um, I tend to believe it's going where the dome is. Or what do you think? Well, I think the Jews would agree with you. Yeah. They're planning on putting it there. And there are, and there are some Jews who have put it off where the gazebo is, the Dome of the Tablets, uh, which would be just north of, uh, it was still on the Temple Mount, but just north of the Gold Dome. But I believe it goes, uh, it's going to go where the Gold Dome is, which makes it so fascinating. Well, the, the, the Dome is sitting on the foundation stone, right, which was in the Holy of Holies, et cetera. So they, they're really focused right there on that. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Okay, another question. At what point of Jacob's trouble does Israel say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord? That's a reference to Matthew chapter 23, when Jesus says, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Again, I'm reminded of uh, Romans chapter 11, where the Bible says, blindness in part has happened to Israel until the time of the Gentiles is full, and then God saves Israel. So I look at this, at what point do they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord? In other words, what point does Israel, the surviving Jews, recognize Yeshua is Messiah? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm going to make it quick, but I'm going to explain a few things. Okay. Okay, the overflowing scourge part two, Isaiah 28, 18, when the covenant gets annulled, okay. and Daniel 9, 27, the Antichrist goes in and stops the sacrifices and offerings. Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 15 through 19, when you see that event happen, mm -hmm. Flee, he's talking to the people in Judea, the yes, Jews, flee does, because yeah. he's, he knows, according to Zechariah 13, 8, that the Antichrist is going to try to start to commit a genocidal campaign mm -hmm. of the Jews. We're told in Zechariah 13, 8 that two-thirds of them will be cut off in the land. Mm -hmm. That's when I believe the scourge comes upon them. In other words, he gets rid of the, the harlot world religion. He desolates the, the ten kings desolate in Revelation 17, 16. Now he's going to stop the temple sacrifices. He's taking the harlot out of the way. He's going to take the Jews out of the way. Now, meanwhile, they're fleeing. A remnant of Jews are fleeing toward, I would say, southern Jordan, Jordan the Petra area, ancient Edom, Basra mm -hmm. was the Old Testament name. And they're fleeing there, and they're hiding there as refugees. The faithful remnant, we're told in Zechariah 39, that a third will come through the fire, and they'll go there. Mm -hmm. Isaiah, Hosea 5.15 says they will, uh, they will recognize their offense, which is generational rejection of Jesus Christ, this remnant. Uh, in their tribulation and their affliction, they will seek seek me and I will return for them. Mm -hmm. so, so he goes, He goes. I go to return to my place. So Jesus has gone to return to heaven, Hosea 5.15. And they will recognize their offense, the generational rejection of him, and they will seek him. That happens at the end of the tribulation mm -hmm. when the Antichrist has got all of his armies assembled mm -hmm. in the Valley of Valley Decision. And they're going to come and try to get the Jews. They're actually thinking they're going to war as per the sixth trumpet judgment mm -hmm. of the great day of God Almighty. Psalm 2, God says, I sit in heaven, why do the nations rage come against me? He sits in heaven and holds them in derision and laughs. They're coming there, and they're going to try to kill the Jews and prevent the return of the Messiah or ambush the Messiah yeah. when he comes, whatever they think they're going to try to do. That happens at the end of the tribulation. Yeah. Now, you said sixth trumpet judgment. I would put that at the bold judgments. Bold so, judgment, I'm sorry, correct. Okay. Thank you, Tom. Okay, I wasn't bold sure. Judgment. You know, I have some people absolutely. in here that Thanks have a different opinion on that. No, bold so, judgments. So, bold judgments, bold. and yeah, that is right. uh, when you have the, ba the Battle of Armageddon. Now, I, I love your explanation. You connected everything to that place. And uh, with that, there are Jews that are being saved all throughout the tribulation period. Uh, there's 144,000 
uh, of 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We know there's other Jews that are being saved. We know a third you mentioned that's going to get saved through the fire. So all these different things are happening, but it's not, I 100% agree, it is not until the end the Lord's going to return because he said, you won't see me again until you say. That does not happen until the end of the tribulation. Correct. Although with the Ezekiel 38 war, 39, 38 and 39, the real fulfillment of is in chapter 39 of Ezekiel, it appears that the Jews are turning to the Lord, but I believe there's a turning that takes place throughout the trib, tribulation until the very end when that is fulfilled. Well, I believe that they thank God for the supernatural defeat, but I don't believe they jump on the Jesus train as a nation. Yep. We're told three times yeah. in Ezekiel 38 and 39 that they're cleansing the land, which mm -hmm. is a ritual requirement of the Mosaic law. So it looks to me like they're reinstating their, animal, their sacrificial system, they're reinstating the Mosaic law, and at that point in time. Okay, I, 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 I totally agree with that. Uh, here's another question, right? Bill and Tom, in other words, Bill. <laughs> are the problems that the United States is having, and I know what Bill Koenig would say, <laughs> mm -hmm. are the problems the United States is having due to Trump's peace plan, which includes the attempt to divide Israel? I don't know if we can be dogmatic on it, but I'll let you answer it if you want. Okay. Um, okay, just so we kind of encapsulate why that question even has any kind of merit really is that because it's we're told in Genesis 12 verse 3 God's foreign policy toward the Gentiles is I'll bless those who bless Abraham I'll curse those who curse mm -hmm. him that extrapolates on through Abraham's son Isaac his grandson Jacob his great-grandsons the 12 tribes on through to Israel today and that foreign policy is still effectually intact and one of the reasons America has been a greatly blessed nation we've been a safe haven for the Jewish people we've been a beacon of Christianity to the nations of the world and we were instrumental in the rebirth of the nation of Israel through Harry S. Truman. Okay, so I would say that that's still in play. Why we are experiencing such godless anarchy has got a lot more to do than that. Yeah, you know? I, think, I think so too. I had this, a similar question, almost identical, that came to me via email. And I said there's a lot more problems than just that. Because when you look at ancient Israel and ancient Judah, the reason they were judged was uh, child sacrifice, they're corrupt judges, they're corrupt politicians. You st oh, well, you actually did this with me a long time ago. You said, put America right here. I think it was in one of the Jeremiah prophecies. And you put America instead of Judah. And you start reading it and you're going, this is exactly, do you remember where that passage was? Uh, keep talking, I'll find This it. is exact, you read it and you go, this is, this is America today. While well, you're looking for that, I'm because this, in fact, Folks, you got to hear this and, and put America in there and let me know when you find it because it, it, it'll, it'll blow your mind when you, when you see the parallels to where we are today. Okay, while you're still looking for that, Bill, um, I found it. you found it? Go ahead. You've got to read it. Okay. Well, first of all, let me preface it with a couple okay. things. We said goodbye to God in the 60s when we took prayer out of the Bible reading. These are Supreme Court decisions. I don't, I'm not going to cite the names of each case. We took Bible reading out of the schools. We went along in 73, we did abortions, okay? We go through a whole series of things that happened, taking the Ten Commandments out and things like that. Ultimately, we come to 2013, I believe it was, and we can no longer define the Defense of Marriage Act, one man being married to one woman. Ultimately, when you can't define marriage in the biblical model, you come along with Overfell and Hodges' Supreme Court decision, 2015, same-sex marriages being approved, okay? 
God, meanwhile, did it in Romans 1, it's called abandonment wrath, where he, he gives over and, uh, mm -hmm. people to their own, gives them over to yeah. lust of the flesh, their own perversion, etc. That was just like, he lets the dog off the leash and wherever the dog goes, it's an untrained yeah. dog. And that's what's happened to America. That's why we find ourselves in such a schism and such a split at a point where civil war is highly likely on the horizon, okay? Now, there came a point in time when, when you said what was going on with Jeremiah during the time of Nebuchadnezzar, where he actually said to uh, Jeremiah, he said, don't pray for these people anymore. Because okay. he knew the Babylonian captivity was coming. It wasn't going to be a Nineveh moment where he, you know, Nineveh, Jonah had to go and sure enough, Nineveh and the king and all the people repented and they were spared. Mm -hmm. There's 40 days, you'll be gone. They, they were spared of that judgment with Jonah. So he tells us in Rev Jeremiah 7, 16, therefore do not pray for this people, nor let the cry of prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. They were sacrificing their mm -hmm. children to Baal and the false god. Therefore, you, Jeremiah, shall speak all these words to them in Judah, but they will not obey you. You shall also call to them, but they will answer you. They will not answer you. So he goes on to see 17 through 19, Jeremiah 17. And then I'll paraphrase it as if he was here today. Do not you see what they're doing in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers kindle the fire, the women knead the dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods that they may provoke me to anger. Do they provoke me to anger, says the Lord? Do they not provoke themselves to their own shame on their own face? Now, I just took the liberty of paraphrasing it to say this for America. Therefore, do not pray for Americans. Now, I want to be careful I say that because I still pray for Americans. I'm not sure we're at this point, mm -hmm. Tom, okay? But I'm just going to say, if this Jeremiah's same sentiment is echoed now, therefore, do not pray for Americans, nor lift up a cry or prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. Do you not see the forbidden biblical boundaries the Supreme Court has crossed over in the city of Washington, D.C.? The sale of, of boarded baby parts by Planned Parenthood of the Pacific Southwest and the LGBT gay pride parades in the streets of San Francisco and San Diego. Okay, now I'm not saying don't pray for America, but I'm saying that's where we're at in America to the point now where we got protesters that are millennials running around detached from any godliness, you know, that just run, running amok out there. And, and who's going to stop that? Mm -hmm. And is that going to get worse? Yeah. Is it going to get worse? I think people really have that concern. So answering that question, America has its own problems without whether or not they were trying to f divide the land of Israel. Uh, but the Bible is also very clear in Joel chapter 3. God says, I will judge them uh, who do divide my land. Uh, Daniel chapter 9 spe speaks of Antichrist dividing the land. So we know it is a problem, but I would agree with you. America's problems are deep. Uh, they're very deep because we've turned from God and removed God from everything. There's a vacuum that has been formed. Uh, we've torn down monuments to remind us where we've been. Some of those reminders were bad things, but those are good reminders for us today because we can look back and say, we don't want to go there anymore. But without those reminders, what do we have? Well, right? let me ask you this. The mantra for so long was, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways or their sins, I would hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land or something like that, yeah. right? How's that working right now? Well, right now... You're one of the few people yeah. holding church anymore. Right now, you're right. We're, right now, we're burning Bibles in Portland. Uh, we are defunding police. We're defunding sanitation in New York City. It is absolute madness out there, violence, lawlessness is abounding, just as Jesus said it would. But here's the scary part about lawlessness abounding. The way that's worded by Jesus, not by me or by you, by Jesus, Matthew chapter 24, 
it is going to increase substantially from where it is right now. Mm -hmm. The day is coming, and this is hard for people to hear or want to listen to, but the day is coming when people are going to look back to 2020 and think those were the good old days. I say that. I, I Isn't agree. that frightening? I agree. That, 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 that really is. Um, we're almost out of time. I'm going to try and see if you can answer this. Uh, I have a lot more questions. I am sorry, but... Uh, you know, we actually get to go two minutes over because we started two minutes late. So there, let's how go, about let's that? Let's go 20 minutes over. Let's, I, don't know if I, I don't know if we want to go. I want to keep the audience. <laughs> okay, you ready? Okay, Pastor Tom, I'm going to put in Bill here. Okay, Bill, Pastor Bill, do you think Turkey is Gog because Turkey uh, is trying to bring back their, Ottoman, their empire, Ottoman Empire, we know what that means. Turkey has made past statements basically saying, uh, they're coming for Israel. Mm -hmm. No, I I think Gog is the leader of Russia. Yes, and very may very well be Vladimir Putin if we're that far along the end times line. But we can't pin the tail on him right now. It'll be some leader that's a, a terrible leader. Now, I would recommend the one who advocates that it's the Gog is Turkey is Joel R Richardson. He mm -hmm. believes in Islam, Islamic Antichrist. He believes Gog is the Antichrist. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I would recommend you can read his stuff, but the, the, I think one of the sounder guys who taught on this in his book, Northern Storm Rising, is Dr. Ron Rhodes. He, he really pins the faces on all the right countries, and I would agree with him, Andy Woods has written about this too. It's Gog is representing Russia, Gog of Magog. I won't go through the whole history of it, but you can trace it pretty clearly through the Scythians and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. and they come from the uttermost parts of the north, which would be right down from Russia on down through northern Israel, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I uh, look at that also, I agree. Gog is the leader of Magog. And you, you look at uh, Joel Ro uh, Jan Markell, you've done a lot with her. You actually had a debate, didn't you, with Joel Richardson? Yeah, on uh, this, the great city of the harlot world religion, is it Mecca or Rome? Yeah. That's available DVD on my website. Yeah, because uh, I get this a lot. You know, in fact, uh, I'm, I have to finish the book of Daniel. I was almost done, COVID hit. And so I haven't been able to finish yet. I'm going to. But in that, I just happen to be in Daniel chapter 9. And there are a lot of people out there that just insist that the revived Roman Empire is the eastern leg of Rome and, um, and, and coming out of Turkey. And you, you hear that. I hear it a lot. I don't believe that's what it is. I don't either. Um, I believe it's, it's coming out of Western Europe that right. part of the revived Roman Empire. Right. Exactly, do, do you, is there a specific country you could place Antichrist in this kingdom rising? He comes out of the people who destroyed the city and the sanctuary in Daniel 9, 26, that it was the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. So the revived Roman Empire, uh, I don't know particularly what country. I was just curious. It, it is interesting, I've been to Rome. I don't know if you have, but you have the Arch of Titus there. Yeah, Earth Arch of Titus, you have, the, you have the menorah, you have all these different things there that they brought back from Jerusalem when they, when Rome took Jerusalem in 70 AD. And you look, you go, everything came back to Rome. I just find these things fascinating. We have a leader in Russia right now that's very Gog-esque. We have um, the, the uh, uh, Pope who's very false prophet-like. You start looking at these things and you think, interesting world, <laughs> interesting world that we live in. It seems like everything really is uh, quite close to uh, being fulfilled. Okay, uh, we had enough time for another question, so let's let's go for it. Um, what will happen to 
Christians, I'm not sure, I think we're going to have to talk about this a little bit. I think the person's got a little bit confused on this. Um, what will happen to the Christians who are left behind on earth? Will they suffer the same as non-believers or will God protect them from his wrath? I'm guessing they're talking about the tribulation period. So I don't know if the person is assuming some Christians get caught up in the, in the rapture and other Christians are left behind because they weren't as good as Christians or, or what they are thinking. Bill, I believe if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ um, at the time of the rapture, you will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Uh, the Bible's very clear. All will be changed. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. doesn't say there will be partial changing. Uh, all who remain, who are in Christ are going to be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. So I don't believe in a partial rapture theory, do you? No. Okay, so the, the, the people who are Christians in the tribulation, they become followers of Christ during the tribulation. They are not followers of Christ now. Right. They become followers of Christ. And with that, there's going to be a lot of suffering. And doesn't Revelation say that Satan is actually just overpowers them? I believe it's Revelation chapter 13 that Antichrist does. Right. So Satan is no longer restrained in first, Second Thessalonians 2, right? So meaning he can actually kill people. You know, mm -hmm. he was restrained when he did his thing with Job and the book of Job, etc. We're told in uh, Revelation 13 verse 10, there's this period called the patience of the saints. Mm -hmm. where people are actually being told that you're going to die. It says, he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills by the sword will be killed by the sword. Here is the patience of the faith of the saints. And then Revelation 14, 12 says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God, the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't sound like a blessing. And that's yeah. why we'd say don't don't get saved after the rapture, get saved before yeah. while well, you still can. But he says, yes, says the Lord, the Spirit, that the rest from their labors and their works will follow them. The point is you've got three different groups, as best I can tell, of martyred Christians who become believers after the rapture. You have the fifth seal saints. I believe they die in a post-rapture, pre-tribulation gap period, but they definitely die after the rapture. And we're told when they ask a question, how much longer is this going to go on? God says, you, you need to rest a little longer till your fellow servants and the brethren of your fellow servants will die like you. So you got three groups, the fifth seal saints, the fellow servants of the fifth seal saints, and the brethren of the fellow servants of the fifth seal saints. That's from Revelation 6, 9 through 11. I personally think those fit into three different time slots. The fellow servants fit in, die in the first half of the trib, and the brethren die in the second half of, by the, being beheaded by the mark of the, uh, by the Antichrist in Revelation chapter 20. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty clear there's three different groups of martyrdom of Christians afterwards. That's why we implore you right now don't take your chances that there's a scourge coming. We've talked about this yeah. in the beginning. And you've got no protection if you're unsaved right now. And that could happen really soon. And then you'd run the risk of being martyred by the harlot, becoming a fifth seal saint or a fellow servant, or by the Antichrist if you survive that. Plus you've got all these judgments going on. So that's yeah. my concern. Yeah, uh, mine too. Which leads to the last question, and then I'm going to have you close with some hope too as we answer it. Um, but I do want to say this, a reminder uh, Charlie Kirk, the, you can get a ticket. As soon as the tickets are, are gone, they're gone. They are absolutely free. You must go to hopeforourtimes.com to receive those tickets. And then also we have our Israel trip that is coming up October 2021. You mentioned Petra. We are going to Petra on that mm -hmm. trip. Again, for information on that, it's going to be a great trip. It's October of 2021. Hopeforourtimes.com for Israel and also for Charlie Kirk. Okay. 
Ready? Last question. And this ties in, I believe, to the reason why we need hope. How much persecution do you think is coming to the West, especially the United States, prior to the rapture and, uh, and subsequent to the tribu subsequent tribulation? Uh, we in the West have been spoiled, and many think we uh, will avoid any persecution. Okay. This is what I believe. Jesus doesn't promise to keep us from persecution or suffering. In fact, he promises persecution and suffering. He does promise to keep us from the wrath, specifically the wrath of the tribulation period, but not from persecution and suffering. I say, I don't know how long this could go. We could be raptured tomorrow. This persecution could go on for a while that we go before the rapture takes place. What say you? Well, persecution of the body of Christ is happening throughout many parts of the world. Iran especially, which is the fastest growing evangelical population of the world, growing under 20%. Uh, China, etc. Um, so we have to remember that we are not the body of Christ in America. We are just part of the American church, which is basically got a lot of holes in it at this point in time. You know, very lukewarm. Very Laodicea. Very Laodicea and very lukewarm. Um, you're seeing they're burning Bibles in Portland. Churches are coming under attack. You know, we're going to be a problem, especially I'm concerned about like what you're doing. They're going to start saying, oh, he's he's running the risk of COVID-19 and this sort of thing. We, you know, he's a problem, whatever. He's a dissenter. I could see that attitude spreading across churches throughout the country. You know, so I'm saying I, I think this country is going to uh, go through some more protesting and severe persecution, maybe even a civil war. Yeah, but there is hope and, and our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, that's one of the things that you're really good at bringing is, look, we have all of these things we have. People are afraid right now, but there's hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't there? Well, that's the blessed hope, Tom. I Amen. mean, that's what we're trying to tell people about this overflowing scourge. It's not a historical event. It's forthcoming. If you're unsaved right now, you've got no protection from it. Israel's going to protect itself in the covenant. Death and children are going to protect themselves. You're left out on a limb. The only hope you have right now is in Jesus Christ. And you can get and receive Jesus Christ right now as your Savior, Tom. I'll let you give them the altar yeah. call right now because you're seeing what's going on in the world right now. All the things we're talking about are setting up Gog and Magog, the Arab-Israeli wars, etc., the potential false covenant. Uh, I would just basically say, what are you waiting for? Yeah. Amen. With that, uh, Bill, any information anybody wants, your books, your DVDs, your newsletters, sign up for it. It's absolutely free at Prophecy Depot. Go there. But I do want to just say this. Bill mentioned the hope that we have in Christ. Listen, here's the story. All of the signs that you read about in the Bible or events, call them what you want, the Bible gives them to us so we can know what's coming. Ultimately, they point to the greater. They point to the hope that we have of heaven. They point to the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ for our own salvation, that we can be forgiven. Uh, as I look at this, the hope that we have in Christ, uh, listen, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Uh, also, the Bible tells us there's no other name under heaven by which a person can be saved than that of Jesus Christ. Listen, if you don't know Christ, ask him to forgive you of your sin and repent of your sin. To repent is to make a U-turn, is to surrender to him, is to turn from your sin and say yes to Jesus and tell him, I will follow you all the days of my life. In fact, if you want to do that, you can do that with me right now. Go ahead and pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner and I ask that you'll forgive me of my sin and unbelief. I surrender to you as the Lord. I repent of my sins and I ask that you will forgive me. I thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
Listen, if you prayed and you meant it, you can know that you are forgiven. Listen, send us a note here at Hope For Our Times. Uh, go to the website, hopeforourtimes.com. Send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Again, you can get any information on the events that we have, Charlie Kirk or our Israel trip at hopeforourtimes.com. Any information from Bill, you can get that too. I know we had a lot more questions tonight. Sorry I didn't get to all of them. Listen, next week my guest is Don Stewart. It's going to be a terrific. It's going to be live. Until then, Bill, thank you very much, and God bless. Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com, and check out the many resources we have to offer. On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.